Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. And I think as far as, as, as if you are the artist and you are the creator, you just have to do it. If you're a writer, you have to always write. If you're a comedian, you always have to tell jokes. Wherever it is, you have to have that opportunity to always tell jokes. And it was one of the things I learned from Letterman. You never miss that opportunity. Don't be preachy. Don't take yourself too seriously. You know, if you're doing a talk show, if you're doing a performance on, on a program, you better have the goods. And that comes from, from writing and performing and doing what you say you are. If you're an actor, you have to act wherever you can. All right. Welcome to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz, my guest Today, I am excited about Robert Morton, as I often like to do, is I like to tell a story that has some kind of relation to the person I'm interviewing. One of the things that a stand-up wants more than anything else in the world, and you can talk to any stand-up across the country, and I, I still do not believe it has changed, is they want that shot they want that five minutes on a talk show that's the most respected talk show in my generation which is the letterman show and no matter what they get no matter how many things they get in their life they might get an hour special they might get a film they might get a television series but the cherry on the top of the Sunday is doing a shot on Letterman because Dave is basically in my mind the transition from Johnny Carson in the talk show world he's a guy who just is the gold standard the four seasons the peninsula of talk shows and I always wanted to get my artists on the Letterman show and when I was in Boston even and I was even wasn't even managing people at the time 
I would call Robert Morton what seemed like almost every week or every month, say, Robert, I will fly you down here. I'll get a car service. I'll do whatever you need. I'll put you up. We had just come to Boston to see X. Or when he, I was in New York, even when he was in New York, I said, Robert, will you come down to the club? And it was always a battle to get Robert down because Robert was this, it almost felt like he was Hollywood on the East Coast. I mean, there was just something about him that me on the call sheet was literally down below the parrot from Beretta, probably calling him. Who knows? But for some reason, he always treated me like I belonged, even when I didn't belong. And he would take those phone calls. And I remember when he'd come into Boston and I'd try to do everything I could to take care of him. And there'd be these old time Boston comics that would go on. And they were amazing comedians in Boston. They were incredible because comedy came out of the bars in Boston. So every comedy club where these people performed on their way up had a bar, had the Celtics game or the Bruins game playing in back, sometimes not even with the sound turned off. So you'd be in the middle of your set, you'd be doing a joke, and you'd hear this great applause break and cheer, and you'd think, boy, I'm killing up here. And then, of course, you know, Bobby Orr scored a goal or something like that. But uh, Robert came in, and he saw a lot of these people, and they weren't right for television. They just weren't right for inside the box. But they were amazing in the clubs. They would just be killing, unlike any comedians you would ever see kill. Um, and occasionally there was an artist that came on like a Stephen Wright who would get your attention because you could see how he could get in to the box and perform well and kick ass. And so, um, I remember Robert went to a showcase a year after Jim McCauley from the Tonight Show had come into Boston. Jim McCauley was looking for colleges for, I believe, his daughter. And he came looking at comedians at a place called the Ding Ho in Inman Square, Cambridge, which was a comedy club slash Chinese restaurant in Boston. And he saw Stephen Wright and he saw Barry Crimmins, Lenny Clark, who was on Rescue Me, um, a guy named Don Gavin, DJ Hazard, just these Jack Gallagher, these mainstays from Boston that were incredible. And he called Stephen Wright afterwards and he asked him to be on The Tonight Show. And Stephen ended up doing the show and very well and coming back again very shortly, like five days later. But there was one guy that Jim McCauley saw that intrigued him tremendously. He was like an 18 or 19-year-old kid. And he was just high energy, crazy character, brilliant material. But Jim, you know, he was a little more conservative and just wasn't willing to take the risk. But then you came to town, and I believe you saw this young man named Bobcat Goldthwaite. And you took the chance, and you put him on the show, and I'll never forget that night. It's ingrained in my memory, the panel between Dave and Bob, because 
Dave, it, it he always gave the appearance like he had no idea what was going to be happening. And and in this particular case, I truly don't believe he did. Because Bob brought on an envelope with some pictures. They were crayon drawings, like as if of a five-year-old boy. And he said, Dave, um, I'd like to show you some pictures of me and my, my family. Um, and he pulled out the first picture. It was this drawing of like green all over the place with a house that was crudely drawn and a little dog and a little stick figure and he's like oh this is me in front of my house with, uh, with my dog spot yeah that Dave was like oh, that that's nice bob <laughs> that's that's it's really nice uh, then bob pulls out another picture um, it's just the same picture but in place of the dog, it's just this red crayon all over the thing. And Dave's like, what What picture is that, Bob? Um, this is me in front of the house with my dog after my dad hit him with the lawnmower. <laughs> and Dave was just like completely like, almost looked like the time when Christopher Glover kicked at him. I mean, he had this look on his face. And he was like, okay, Bob, we're going to be right back with our next guest. And Bobcat said, Dave, you think we could go bowling sometime, you and I? <laughs> and Dave said, yep, Bob, we'll go bowling. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Certain things do hang with you, and with me, certain things hang with me as well. But you're right in that you never want to be defined by it. And I think about my life and, you know, and, and my career up to this point, and if it ends tomorrow or whatever it is, I always wonder, because you don't, you don't see, you're like an anorexic looking in a mirror and saying you're fat. When you're... At least I don't know how the people feel who are uh, listening, or but you you just never feel like you really know your place. You mm -hmm. think you know your place, but you never really know until all of a sudden you call up a guy like Robert Morton and say, "Will you do this show?" And he says, "Of course, I'll do the show." And you're like, oh, "Okay, maybe I maybe I am still uh, feeling." It. And it's the same with you. Like when you got taken down or whatever, you you lost that gig probably you might not have known your place in the business. No, you don't know your place. I I, I, I think I, I viewed where I was at, at, at a higher level than I might have been. You know, you, you often lose sight of the fact that the show is about him. It's not about me. The reason that show is successful has nothing to do with anything I did. It's all him. It's all his vision. It's all, you know, it all came came from the, the top well i think that and, you i think you were great at executing that vision so I, I i would say that no the whole everybody was and that was the magic of the team but but 
you know, you don't leave there and think, let's well, an- I'm the guy let's that a- did let's it. An- I'm- let's analyze something, okay, shall we? Sure, Barry. Let's analyze the facts. Can I lie on your couch for this? I'd love you to lie on the couch. Yeah. All right? When you left, how many people were watching the show every night? Well, you know, that... Uh, Just to answer the question. You know, I don't know. Me. I honestly don't know. About, Four million? Uh, about five to six million people okay, were watching five to the six show. Million, yeah. How many people are watching the show now? Two million. Okay. So... But it, then again, that, you know, that, believe does me. Does that only... That's ha- because I left there. No, no it's that, not because you no, left, it, but it, what I'm saying is there's a style to how a show goes, and it was this show from when you were there until when you left. I may be wrong. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But when you have a team together, and Letterman always was very loyal to this team mm-hmm. and whatever, there's a trajectory. Except, except you. And there's a trajectory to that loyalty that sure. happens with the thing. And sometimes, I don't know why it is in the world or how it is, when changes are made, sometimes the trajectory doesn't stay where it's going. And you might not think you had a big impact on things, but talent relations is big. And, and how things are. And there were certain people that didn't do the show that maybe would have done the show had you been there with a certain instinct. One of my favorite stories. It was after I got fired, uh, CBS gave me an office at BlackRock, which is the CBS headquarters on 6th Avenue. Well, you produced some shows there. For You did the Bonnie, uh, Bonnie show, did Yeah, you? I did some other shows. But, 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 but essentially I was you know, asked to leave and... CBS set me up with an office just as a transition. You know, it was part of the, the exit that, that I negotiated. And they put me on a floor, and they used to call it the bad boy floor <laughs> because it was usually the offices were people who got fired from jobs. And I remember at the time the head of CBS News had just been fired, so he had an office down the hall. All the high-profile people that got fired at the network. How come when office. I got fired, I didn't get an office? Yeah, the bad boy floor, they used to call it. And... In the lobby of that building was a restaurant called the China Grill. I think it might still be yeah. there. And I remember having lunch there alone one day with a magazine. And I'm sitting at lunch and I see Les Moonves and Bill Cosby walk in. Les and, Moonves being the president of CBS at the time. Yeah, now the chairman of CBS. Now the chairman of CBS. And Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby, Bill Cosby needing Cosby. no introduction. Well, but, but it, it was when Bill Cosby was going back to doing a series and, for CBS. And Les Moonves did something at the time that had been never been done before in the history of scripted television. He gave Cosby a 44-episode pay-or-play guarantee. It's oh, incredible. So the two of them are having lunch, so it was hard to avoid them. So I went over and said hello, and this was you know maybe a week after I, I left the Letterman show. And Cosby says, I can't believe you're leaving that show. That's like the daddy leaving the nest. I gotta, I'm gotta. i never going to do that show again. You were the heart and saw me, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty nice in front of Les Moonves, the head of CBS. <laughs> Cosby saying all these great things about me. He goes, it won't be the same. I'm never going to do it, blah, blah, blah. Cut to, I swear on my life, not two nights later, I turn on the Letterman show. Tonight, Bill Cosby. <laughs> And I'm thinking, that's show business right there. That says it all. That's awesome. Isn't that funny? Before we move on to some other stuff, I just want you to share with me um, the transition now. You're in this office, the bad boy floor, the floor of the fired, dejected employees. 
what's your next move? What are you planning? What's how do you how do you figure you're gonna land on your feet again? And who take has the balls to take the step forward and reach out to the guy who, in probably in your you. mind, you have kryptonite you're holding, but you're no. I'll tell you, I I I, I and, and you know, it's it's not necessarily the most popular person in show business to 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 praise. But Michael Ovitz, who was the chairman of, of Creative Artists, uh, was a great champion. And a, when I walked out of that office with Letterman, I made my first call to Michael Ovitz. And his response to me was, great, we got you out of there. <laughs> and you know, whether he meant he and Letterman got me out of there, I don't know quite how, it, how, how really, because he was Letterman's agent. Yeah. Uh, but he had left CAA and was was now running Disney, was the president of, of Disney, and he had always talked to me about coming there and, you know, not not that I'm anywhere in the league of of Lorne Michaels. He always said I want to make you the Lorne Michaels of ABC, and that was you know, the one thing holding me back was that I was at at the Letterman show. So when I got out, Ovitz was very very kind and offered me this this situation. Uh, the thing that kind of got in the way was I was dating a woman at the time who was then the president of ABC. And Ovitz was always, you can't do this. It'll look like she's giving you a sweetheart deal, blah, 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 blah. And she really had, it, it, it predated her even going to ABC that, that I had those discussions. So we waited a year or so, and then I got uh, an overall deal at ABC. And, and it really was Ovitz, and Ted Harbert was, was a... a Ted Harbour, who's now the chairman of NBC. Yeah, um, so what were some of the first things you did? Today? Wasn't there something called the Downer Channel with Steve? Was that Steve? No, Mar that was later. I, I When I got to ABC, uh, I did. I had a two-year deal there. I did one show that got on the air. We did, I think, 13 episodes, which was a, a lame-ass sitcom with Tim Curry and Annie Potts called Tim, Over the Top. It was a horror. It was, it was Tim Curry from Rocky. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. It wasn't a horrible show. show. I shouldn't say that. The, the, the high point of the show, and, and he doesn't mention it, and I, I think he struck it from his credits, uh, Steve Carell was, was one of the stars of the show. And I remember finding, you know, seeing him for the first time, and he came in and auditioned for, for the producers, and... He was just brilliant. It was just brilliant. And we called him back the next day and we wanted him to do the same audition. It was that entertaining.
Wow. And he was like, I always wondered why you were bringing me back the next day to do the same thing. Yeah. How uh, how did you get involved? Now, to me, one of the greatest things that happened, I, I guess I wasn't really looking in terms of time because, I, you know, I was just observing from afar, but you got involved with Chris Rock. Uh, uh, Chris short, Rock, shortly I, after, I, I, and I, I, obviously I, talk about the gold standard. He's like the gold standard. So you leave Letterman, and within a few years, yeah, you're doing but, but some it, episodes it, it, with Chris Rock. Yeah, but it wasn't that simple. It was, it, 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 and I, once again, it's 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 a bad call on my part. Uh, I had left Letterman, and Chris Rock at the time was really, you know, didn't have a very high profile. He was a stand-up. He had done Saturday Night Live unsuccessfully. He was back doing clubs and, you know, was getting on at, at midnight at, 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 at showcase clubs and really wasn't, and, you know, Chris Albrecht came in and saw the potential. And Chris Albrecht, now the president of Stars, and formerly former president of and a, a chairman of HBO. And he came in and saw the potential and I was approached by HBO and, and my management, Three Arts at the time, still they came to me and said do you want to produce chris rock's show and i kind of took offense to it i was like how can i go from producing david letterman on nbc and this was before <laughs> hbo was hbo i mean they had done a bunch of specials and comedy but they had, there was no sopranos there was no you know serious business there it was chris was just beginning there and i was kind of offended and they said will you consult and i said yeah i'll consult on it so you know i came in as 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 a consultant and, uh, and, and uh, Louis C.K. was writing on the show. Louis or? was a writer. Louis, Louis had been a writer on Letterman. Yeah. And got fired. Yep, then he and went I'll, to Conan. And I'll never forget, after he got fired, he, he walked into my office, and the head writer usually does, you know, picks up the options and decides who's going to stay, who's going to go Letterman. And, and he threw a stack of material about two and a half inches high, and he said, this is all the stuff I wrote that didn't get on. I I wish I still had it. <laughs> I wish I still had it. Uh, it's almost like he doesn't put this on his credits either. The first show I ever produced, I, I, I was at Letterman, and I took a leave of absence to do a show for Cinemax. It was the Max Headroom show. Yes. And it was a talk show hosted by this this creature. This television with a head inside it. Was, it was, it was a, a bad idea, and but it was a great opportunity. And uh, one of the writers on that was Larry David. And I remember, I still have somewhere, I'm not sure where, but I know I still have material that he wrote that never got on the air. That he threw at you? I remember, <laughs> he, he didn't throw it at me, but I remember he did one piece that everybody was shocked by. He, he wrote a, a piece, uh, uh, Max Headroom as a Holocaust Survivor. <laughs> and I know I have it somewhere, but, but he, doesn't, he doesn't brag about that. Now, we worked together on a show that was uh, an interesting show that had never been done before, never been done since, sort of a letterman for sports it was a called idea. More Sports with Jay Moore. And my biggest memory of the show, or one of the biggest memories, is how your relationship with Jay was and how you guys worked together and how he had never really done a talk show before. And you were like, again, like the master. And Jay, you know, has a way of having no filter. And I remember he really, really pissed you off one day. And you called me up because I was <laughs> executive producing it too. And you said, uh, Barry, uh, um, I'm not coming in today. 
I said, oh, well, you know, yeah, I hope you're feeling better. No, Bear, I'm, I'm not coming in tomorrow. Oh, well, I, you know, if, you, if you're sick, don't worry. Take as much time as you Barry, I am not coming back in. I said, what are you talking about? What happened? Your client, Jay Moore, you got to straighten that guy out. He offended me. And I don't work anywhere where I'm offended. <laughs> it sounds like me. I don't, I, once again, I have no recollection. <laughs> so I had to call Jay up and they said, Jay, um, I don't know what you did or whatever, but I think you're going to have to. And I remember where we met. He came, I, I had lunch with him at that Grub restaurant. Yeah. But when I did Jay's podcast, I, I talked about this and he had, no, he had no recollection of it ever <laughs> happening. I said, Jay, I walked out on the show. He goes, no, you didn't. We never had a fight. Blah, blah. I said, Jay, I'll tell you where we ate to, to patch it up. I told him the whole story. Yeah, and I remember you guys meeting at that, that place, and I was like wondering to myself, okay, what's happening? Because I, I felt like if I went, it would be bad, so I just had you guys sitting together. But another thing that happened there that I want to talk about that I, I want you to answer what you do in these situations. This is, was a shocker. We had a writer on the show who was very famous, uh, well, a comedian who had a long career. He was an actor in many, many shows, and he also was a stand-up and was one of the first white comedians to transfer over to black audiences, did the Apollo. So what happens is this exec, whatever you call him, the head writer of the Moore Sports Show, he has the thought process behind him, listen, I'm going to give my wife a job, and she'll be like a talent coordinator, wrangling people, going to the cars, taking them out of cars, doing whatever. She was rude one day, and he called her a c oh, I don't remember this. It's amazing. He I don't said, remember any of this. This is the first time I've said the C word on this podcast, so I'm sorry if I've offended anybody, but I'm, I'm saying what he said. And this was an amazing thing that happened. And it was a situation where on any given occasion, that guy would be fired who said the C word. But he wasn't fired. And the guy who was the head writer didn't stand up and say, hey, listen, it's either him or me. And it remained, and there was that tension throughout the writer's room and everywhere around because here a guy had to work in a place where a guy called his wife the C word. Why do you think something like that could transpire and take place? And today, if that were to happen, let's say, in one of the shows that you're like Lopez tonight... Can you imagine if, like, somebody's wife, what would happen? It would be automatically firing, right? First of all, you know, it's, it's, I would never allow a husband and wife or, you know, nepotism to me is, is horrible. I, I, I have Except no, at ABC. I have no tolerance for that. <laughs> no, but I, I had nothing to do with that. Um, so you would never hire as, a husband. As far as, as, as using that word... This day and age, you know, th there was a time when that word was thrown around. There was a time when, when, when producers and executives and talent did some crazy things, which now you could get sued for. Absolutely. Now you could lose a career for. Take me through Mind Amencia a little bit, because this is a show that, for some reason, um, did really, really well. Amazing ratings. Comedians violently opposed to the show comedians violently opposed to carlos mencia and here you were at a show that was doing well in the ratings but you're 
hanging on to like a life raft that's uh, that's being punctured. Well, you know, it was it was in. We did four seasons. I know. Then uh, so we 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 did seventy five some odd shows. So it was a pretty successful run by by very know, successful all, all standards. He basically was wonderful to work with. I I've, I don't think I've ever worked with a host that worked as hard and had as as clear a vision as what he wanted to be and what he wanted to do. Uh, tremendously talented. I think he got caught up in a situation where comedians had accused him of stealing material. And I think, you know, whether he did or not, I, I'm not to say, because I don't know any of the people that he was accused of stealing from. I, I you know, I, I didn't pay much attention to that. Uh, I always knew that he was a really good comedian and never needed to borrow material from anybody else. Always had brilliant original ideas of his own was real could really stand up on his own and i think it was just a, a case of you know he was accused of all this stuff and when you're on comedy central and comedy central makes its its lifeline is is stand up comedy i don't think it's 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 as if a, 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 a wolf blitzer was accused of plagiarizing news on cnn there's no tolerance for it. And I think it was the same thing with Mencia. I think he was accused of doing these things. And Comedy Central couldn't jeopardize their relationship with other comedians and, and the community. So they had no choice. And it, was, it did do well. And you know, we went off the air. You know, we were doing really good numbers. No, it was really, really good yeah. numbers. And you also... I mean, not great numbers, but really good. You also did something recently that I, I had a lunch with you, ironically, at Morton's. It was interesting when you pulled out your credit card and said, you know, Robert Morton, and you were signing a check for Morton's. Never got me in the restaurant. Probably not. So you got the gig. You took over Lopez tonight when things were not going as well as the network wanted to. And... One of the things that blew me away when I met with you, I said, why are you taking the gig, Robert? I don't get it. And you said, Barry, it's a great gig. I said, why is it a great gig? I said, I love George, and I think he's talented, and I think he does a great job. But I said, why is it a great gig? You said, Barry, number one, TBS, they take care of you. They're great people. Uh, they're always paying people fairly and above more than fair. Um, if I go into this gig and it works, I'm going to be a hero. If it doesn't work, no one can ever blame me because it wasn't working before I came in. Mm -hmm. And then you said something that blew me away. I said, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get to the offices? at Lopez tonight. And this is what you said. Well, first of all, Barry, there's these cubicles where they're very high and people can't see each other. I'm going to rip those out. I'm just going to cut them in half so everybody can see each other. And the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get all the great photographs of Lopez with all his great guests, and I'm going to have them framed all over the theater, all over that area where the writers are in the hallways. So when people are walking around, they have a sense of pride 
and they feel like they're working on a show that means something and they have a sense of community. And I thought that was really, really interesting because normally you would think a showrunner or executive producer is going to go in, uh, you know, hire a writer here, do this, that. That was the main well, it's thing. It's funny. I, and, you know, in hindsight, maybe I was wrong. But when I took over that show, I didn't fire anybody. I kept the entire staff. I, I, I thought that if I fired one person, everybody would be jumpy. Everybody would think that they're next. So I, I went in there, and look, nobody likes firing people. It's, it's not easy. It's not fun. Uh, I always have a strange reaction when I do fire people, and it's a nervous reaction, but I, I usually find myself laughing, and it's horrible. I've fired people who have been so desperate, and I, I always laugh, and I always do it with an associate in the room. And when I was at Letterman, there was one woman named Jude Brennan, who's the executive producer now, and she would know when I was about to break up laughing. In the middle of every firing, and she'd always pick up, and I'd kind of cover my mouth. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. <laughs> it was just dumb. And I, I thought I didn't like firing people. I wish more clients would laugh when they fired me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like firing people. I didn't think it was necessary on, on the Lopez show. And I was willing to work with everybody and, and make them better. It's hard to do when you're doing a nightly show, but, you know. Cool. Let's talk about some holy shit moments. <laughs> um, let's pretend you're writing your book. Tell me one story of your career that would be the highlight chapter that anybody who heard the story would be like, holy shit, I cannot believe this story. Uh... Showbiz and non-showbiz? Whatever it is. One of the perks of being in show business is you find yourself at places that you'd never imagine yourself to be. You know, the first time I, I had dinner at the White House was, was, was fun. You realize, what the fuck am I doing <laughs> at the White House? And you realize you have free reign. You could walk into every room and sit on every piece of furniture <laughs> And lift up the cushions. And <laughs> it, it was Did you finally spare change. Yeah, oh yeah, it was very heady. It was it was it was a, a, an incredible feeling. And to go to a it was at a state dinner, and to be able to walk up to 
and, and you can just walk up to the vice president or the president and start talking to them. There's no line. There's no it's it's you're a guest at the dinner party and they're a guest at the party. Anyway, that was. But but the moment that I'm, I'm leading to is you find yourself at these events. And I was at an, an event, uh, a friend of mine who I'm sure is a friend of yours, who produced comic relief, Pat Lee. Of course. Pat Lee is a wonderful woman. Amazing. A great producer. And she invited me to a fundraiser for the Clintons, for Bill Clinton. And it was at Ron Burkle's house in, in Beverly Hills. And she was very active in a woman's political uh, uh, committee. And she invited me to be her guest at this this event. And she had a private photo with with Hillary and Bill. So the four of us are posing for this picture in his fancy library. And I find myself standing next to Hillary. And then Bill is on the other side of Hillary. And Pat is next to Bill on the other side. And, you know, what do you do when you're posing for a group picture? You usually put your arm around or behind <laughs> the person next to you. And yeah. I felt that was inappropriate, being that it was the first lady. So I just kind of put my hand behind her, <laughs> not touching her. <laughs> so my hand is, is behind her, and just as the shutter is about to, to, to go off, I feel Bill Clinton reach around and push my hand away. <laughs> and you see my face on the photograph because he had just, and I don't know if he was fucking with me. I don't know if he thought I was copying a feel from his wife, but he pushed my hand. And I'm thinking the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the free world, just thought I was feeling up his wife. It was so surreal. And at that moment I thought, look at the world. Look at where we are. Look at what we do. How ridiculous is this? It was great. It was just a great moment. And I have the photo. That's awesome. It just, well, my face is like, I'm, I look like a deer in headlights. I really do. It's so odd. Tell me your proudest professional moment. You know, you win an Emmy Award. It's, 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 you, 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 you're, it's a proud moment. Uh, hearing your show announced and you go up on stage and get the statue. And, and better than just getting the statue. And it's, it's funny. Every time I watch any award show or look at, at the, the trades and, and or, or look at the, the blogs and see pictures of, of the parties afterwards, walking into any of the given parties that they have on Emmy night, holding an award is probably, you know, the greatest professional moment for me. You know? Now, we, uh, other people downplay it. I, I, I think they're full of shit. Just being nominated is not enough. You need the statue. Thanks a lot, Robert. Thank you. I'm sorry. I've been nominated yeah, not one from this office. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yep, didn't win that year. Amazing race for the seventeenth time in a row won, but that's yeah. okay. What that Wayne Brady, were you on when they won the Emmy or no? I had been fired from that show. But you were still but eligible my, for that. I was fired, but my show, one of the shows I produced, was the nominated show. The running theme of this podcast is called Fired. <laughs> so, uh, so Happens to all of us. Wait, but you were still eligible for the Emmy. What you do is when you nominate a show for an Emmy, you submit no, I know. one episode of the show. And it was your show and that you produced. the episode that was submitted was a show that I Which produced. means you were eligible when they yeah. won, yeah, so I you am. won an Emmy for that. Yeah. yeah. Were you there in the crowd? Uh-huh. Did yeah, you go on there. stage? Yeah, I did. Of course I did. I remember Bernie I remember Bernie telling me something about, like, he was on stage literally about to say some kind of a speech. Bernie Brillstein, one of the greatest managers 
of all time represented everybody from Belushi to Lauren Michaels and represented Wayne. And he told me like he's got his Emmy. He's about to go up to the mic and literally Wayne just grabs the mic away from him and just he didn't get a chance to say anything. True story. <laughs> Absolutely true. It was uh, it was a fun moment for me. because And if you look at it, I, I, I have it on tape. I'm just gloating. I'm just, I've got this shit-eating grin on my face. Like, ha, huh, you guys fire me and my show wins an Emmy. Did you hug Wayne that night? No. <laughs> no. Oh, I don't man. think I ever hugged him. I tell you, man, you're, you're unbelievable. It was funny, though. It was funny. All right. So, and, and, and the fun part about it is it looks like a real Emmy. <laughs> on your bookshelf it, it doesn't look any different than the real Emmy it's well, kind of fun I, I think it's a real you Emmy could full, you just turn it around and people don't know what show you want it for tell me a comedian who you booked or you authorized a book on any incarnation of Letterman show where you're like this guy is an automatic I am so excited this is going to be one of the best stand-up sets in the history of our show and the guy went on and laid an egg uh the only real eggs that i can remember the only real egg laid by somebody who was great was kinnison and he was fucked up but i remember him once coming on and you know i mean we all loved sam kinnison he was he was a visionary in what he did he he had a style and and an attitude and a but, point of view like none other. But you you kept that on, and you'd love to see those shows. But the no, we Bill, edited it out. We edited out the stand up. I thought the Bill Hicks was the one you edited out. We edited that one on, but we won. I remember once pulling out an entire stand up that that Kinnison did because he was so fucked up. I didn't know that. Yeah. I remember, uh, and before we get into the last thing, I was there. Dave Chappelle was getting his first shot on the Letterman show. And I walk up there and he's already in the dressing room. For those of you who don't know, the Letterman dressing rooms in the Ed Sullivan Theater for the comedians are very small. I mean, they're probably maybe eight feet by 10 feet or six feet Barely. by 10 feet. And they have like a locker where you put your clothes and a little desk with a mirror with the lights and a small couch. Very small. And I get there and Dave is so happy because this is his first appearance on The Letterman Show. He's so excited. And he's there early and I got there early. And, you know, he's wearing this, you know, sweatshirt from NYU. He's wearing some nice jeans and some nice sneakers. And we're just having a blast. And then you walk in the room and you're like, hey, you ready, buddy? And Dave's like, yeah, man, I'm ready. It's like, so, uh, you know, what are you wearing tonight? Because, you know, Robert just naturally thought in the locker were the clothes. And he's like, what do you mean, man? He said, what are you wearing? He said, um, I'm wearing this. I just got this new sweatshirt from NYU. I got the jeans and the sneakers. This is what I'm wearing. And you looked at him and said, no, you're not. You're not wearing that. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? I'm. This is what I'm wearing. I, I, I bought it. No, you're not. You're not. You're not wearing that. You're not going on the show tonight if you wear that. I'm not letting you on. I'll just cancel your show and put something else on. 
I don't believe that. Oh, this is true. And I was and I was in shock and Dave was in shock and and he's like, What are you what are you talking what am I gonna do? And you're like, Here, man. And you took off your jacket, your sports jacket, you said, Try this on, see if this fits you. And he put on your sports jacket and it fit him. He's like, okay, what we're going to do, we're going to go down the wardrobe. We're going to get you a shirt, any kind of shirt, pick out any kind of shirt you want. You wear this and the jacket because Johnny would never allow a comedian on who didn't wear a sports jacket. And I am not about to let any comedian on this show with Dave who doesn't respect the art form, respect the craft, respect late night. And everybody who does this show will wear a jacket and look nice. That's fiction. I never said that. That is not fiction. And if you watch... I like the story, If you but... watch Dave Chappelle's first Letterman show, you'll see him wearing your jacket. Oh, I've got to watch it now. I've got to watch it. All right, so... How I ever let a comic wear my jacket, that's... See, right off the bat, it's, it's, it sounds like fiction. Not fiction. So, do I look like a guy who would lie? Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, um, last question. I want you to give advice, firstly, to a young executive out there in any line of work. How do they go from being in college, wanting to own a candy store, to doing something that they really dream about, really special, and going for it, and getting to a point and a level where you are today? And lastly... A young comedian, sketch artist, anybody performing out there that's working in the smoky clubs at one o'clock in the morning, how do they get the attention of somebody like you and move the needle and get to the next level? On the executive level, I think you, if you're not the actual talent, don't think of yourself as the talent and, and have a respect for talent. And I think obviously the who am I to judge the problems of, of networks and, and, and cable operations? But I think the biggest problem is that executives don't let writers and creators and directors do what they do best. They know. You know Vince Gilligan knows what that show is going to be. And I think AMC probably had the good sense to let him do what he does as I know HBO does with, with its people. And I know that FX is, is famous for it. Louis C.K. has a vision. FX is smart enough to, to let Louis do what he does. And I think once an executive considers themselves creative, it's, it's, it's gone. You're, you're a buyer. Once again, going back to the retail business, you know, the, the, the buyer at Bloomingdale's doesn't tell Ralph Lauren, we don't like the buttons you have on the new jackets. Change the buttons. Use, use brass buttons instead of... of Ralph doesn't take notes like that. He's a creator. He's a designer. And I think it's the same thing in, in this business. So I think executives have to know their place. They're the buyers. Now, I never have a qualm with, with an executive saying, I don't think this is going to work for our audience. I don't think this is going to work for our advertisers. It is a commercial medium. Uh, but once they say this doesn't work creatively, all bets are off. And I think as far as, as, as if you are the artist and you are the creator, you just have to do it. If you're a writer, you have to always write. If you're a comedian, you always have to tell jokes. Wherever it is, you have to have that opportunity to always tell jokes. And it was one of the things I learned from Letterman. You never miss that opportunity. Don't be preachy. Don't 
take yourself too seriously. You know, if you're doing a talk show, if you're doing a performance on, on a program, you better have the goods. And that comes from, from writing and performing and doing what you say you are. If you're an actor, you have to act wherever you can. Wow, this has been really great, very inspirational. Oh, uh, it's been an honor to have you here. Thank and, you, Barry. Uh, it's an honor to be here on your big couch. <laughs> well, thank you. To think you. That, that Steve Coonan and Chris Albrecht, this, this, this spitty microphone is the closest I've been to either of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to change there after you this podcast. Oh, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you, everybody. Uh, you've been listening to another episode of Industry Standard with me. And as always, if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. All the people love you Cause you're going for Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.